Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Exodus chapter 1, uh, if you want to turn there. Most of us, most of us of any age at all, if you've ever been uh, teased, made fun of, uh, talked down to, there's a lot of things that I'll, I'll put up with and I'll ignore and I just... But you want to get under, you want to be the burr under my saddle. Talk to me like I, I, I'm beneath you. Now, I can say that about myself. We were in a room the other day, and we had a couple of architects and a few of the men from the church here today, and I looked at everybody, and I said, I'm the dumbest one in the room, and I felt really good about that, you know? You know, I, I don't want people that are on the same level as I am drawing up our architectural plans for our future. I want somebody smarter than me. I love surrounding myself. Somebody once said, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. I found that to be very true. But on the flip side of that, you know, there are times when people might speak to you and make you feel inadequate, dumb, insecure, it's it's kind of a part of life, I, I think, part that we go through, you know, especially when we're younger, but even in the uh, adult age, and typically it passes as you you recover from it and move on, you know, you don't let it get you down too much. But what about those who have no escape from surroundings in which they are constantly belittled, constantly made to feel inadequate, constantly made to feel below? and beneath. It can work on a person's mental state of mind. I recently ran into somebody that I hadn't seen quite some time, and I I know that this particular person, I believe, is in a situation much like that. You can usually tell because they usually walk around with their head down. They flinch at stuff, you know, that, that, that come by. You can just tell. It's almost like you know, a dog that's been abused, you know, it's real skittish. You know, people can be like that. I'm not comparing them to dogs. I'm just saying that the same principles hold true with people. They've been battered and bruised and broken down until in their mind they feel worthless and helpless and hopeless. Man, I'm glad that I serve a God that gives me hope. Gives me hope. I spoke with somebody else just here recently that's dealing with this very thing. Someone is speaking about them ill. I said something that I hope helped, and I'm going to say it to everybody that's here because if there's anybody here that's going through something like this, I want you to understand, and maybe this will help you. I simply said just because somebody says something about you does not make it true. If it's a lie, it's a lie. I don't care who says it, what's being said. If it's a lie, it's a lie. If it's not true, don't you believe it and make it true. And I said, and just because somebody lends an ear to what is being said does not necessarily mean that they believe what is being said. You and I both know that people talk. People are critical. Oftentimes there are offenses place towards you because of your stand for the Lord, your walk with God, whatever it is that 
Sometimes it's a spiritual thing. Sometimes it's just mean old people. <laughs> not old people, just mean people, not mean old people. There are some mean old people. I've had a few of those in my life. Well, a cranky one that doesn't want you walking on the grass, you know. Take it from a 33-year veteran of Federal Express that never walked on anybody's sidewalk. I did not walk through their flowers, by the way. Just so you know, I was polite. But your precious grass, come on. All right. I've already offended three or four in this room here today. I'm sorry. <laughs> know this. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. He's an accuser of the brethren. He wants to talk about you and you can't stop that. You're powerless to stop that. But what you do have power over is whether it connects in your mentality, your mind. Do not believe it. Do not believe what is being said about you by the devil. Do not believe what's being whispered in your ear. Exodus 1 and 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, you know, it's always easy to talk to your crowd, your cronies. That's what this king, he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Uh-oh. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. And so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the Bible says in verse 12, the more that they afflicted them, the more that they multiplied and grew. You are never going to be stomped out. I don't care what afflictions come your way. This church will succeed. The church of the living God may suffer affliction and persecution, but in the process of all of those negative things, the church will multiply, the church will grow. There is nothing on the face of this planet that can, hear me, there's nothing on this planet that can stop the church of the living God. more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, the more they grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. And all their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. That word rigor just simply means whatever difficult job they, they could find. That's what they gave them. No easy stuff for you guys. No sitting in the, the air-conditioned office pushing a pen and paper. But on the hottest day of the year, when the ditch needs dug, make them out there, go out there and dig that ditch. Make them dig holes. Make them break up rocks. Make them do things that is 
difficult. Make them do everything that we don't want to do. If there's any nasty business to be taken care of, we're going to have them do it. I just want to preach to you today. You are more and you are mighty. You are, somebody say, I am more and I am mighty. You may be seated today. There was a time when um, things hadn't been so bad for the Israelite people that lived in Egypt. Uh, you remember the story of Joseph and how he had gone through all the sufferings, all the things, the ups and downs in his life. But when you look back at it, you look in the rearview mirror, you see where God had a hand in all of it. Every time Joseph was put in a bad situation, he didn't get upset with God. He simply, he simply suffered what he had to suffer and made the best of it you know, however he could. And, and in the process of all those things, God elevated him, and he was elevated in a foreign land, a land that was not his own, a land that did not believe like he believed. And, and the Pharaoh would have him eventually become second in command, and things were good, and people survived a horrible, terrible famine because God spoke to Joseph, and God could deal with Joseph, and God elevated Joseph in a land that was not his own. And because of that, the Israelite people suffered pretty well. They dealt with them pretty uh, pretty pleasantly in the land of Egypt. Joseph had been a great advocate and a great leader and highly respected in Egypt. had been given great authority. But now time had gone by and the years had rolled on and decades had passed and there arose a new king. Somebody different, somebody that didn't really remember Joseph or care to remember what Joseph had done. You know, that worldly mentality of what have you done for me lately, and if you can't do anything for me today, we're just going to brush you aside. That's kind of this king's mentality, and the Bible lets us to know that there was a new king that remembered not Joseph and what Joseph had done. The king perceived with Joseph's people, a potential problem. It wasn't an imminent threat, but he saw a potential problem, if you will, from the Israelite people who lived in his land. And so instead of doing what a smart king would do and creating within the strong people that were living his, in his land an ally, some, some people that would be loyal to him, some people that would love him and stand up for him instead, he chose to put great burdens upon these people and try to break them down and try to make them feel like they were less than what he knew they actually were. And so he set taskmasters over them that were cruel and he beat them down and he made life miserable all in an effort to suppress and contain the Hebrew people. I don't want them rising up. I don't want them becoming my enemy. I don't want to go to sleep every night wondering if these people are going to grow to the place uh, beyond uh, that, uh, a place that I can control them. I, I want to. I want to get them in a spot where they 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 are little and they are small, at least in their mind. And, and so he beats them down. And he places taskmasters over them, and he gives them terrible jobs and tries to create in them a mindset of. Of slavery, but the Bible says that the more he afflicted them, the more that they multiplied and they grew. Sometimes our greatest growth, and hear me what I'm about ready to tell you right now, 
Sometimes our greatest growth is not in the easy times where everything is going good and things are all rosy, but sometimes our greatest spiritual growth comes from when we are suffering afflictions that are brought on to us by outside forces. Don't you ever step away and say, God has abandoned me. No, God has placed you in a place. You are still a child of him. You are more and you are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Where are my World War II buffs that are in here? Anybody World War II buffs? Okay, I got, I got one that's one. One, two, three, I, I got three, four, four. Okay, mama's pointing at, at her son. Yeah, he is. Okay, we, we got a few World War II buffs. I'm kind of a World War II buff. I, I enjoy reading the story, and, and maybe you'll, you'll enjoy this little history lesson that I'm going to take you down because I'm going to talk to you about a general that maybe you haven't heard about, General Jonathan Wainwright. You know, you've heard of Patton, you've heard of uh, MacArthur and all these others. Uh, recently, I, I uh, acquired an old uh, military uniform uh, that my great uncle had uh, was his, and I tried to put it on like, man, how skinny was he, this dude? <laughs> like, I'm not a big guy, but it was like real little on, on me. I couldn't even get it around my shoulders and stuff. And and I, I, I uh, along with the, the uniform, uh, had a bunch of these patches, and the patches said who he served under, what army he was with, and, and Brother Glenn kind of looked some of this stuff up, and it's very interesting to find out what he saw. And he saw, uh, I believe it was some pretty difficult stuff, Sicily, is that where? Yeah, okay, he's got a better memory than I have. Sicily, he was over there, and, and so... <clears throat> Uh, there is a connection for me. I'm interested in, in this kind of stuff, and I enjoy kind of reading the history. And so General um, Jonathan Wainwright was the only United States general to ever be captured in World War II, put in a POW camp. camp. He was left in charge of uh, Corregidor over in the Philippines by another general, General Douglas MacArthur, and that happened when MacArthur was forced to flee to Australia to kind of regroup and organize the Allied forces' massive counterstrike that eventually did defeat Japan in World War II. So MacArthur left, and, and he left um, orders with Wainwright, who he was his superior. He was Wainwright's superior, commanding general. And he said, uh, I've got to go, but I'm leaving you in charge, and my orders are very clear. Never surrender. Fight to the end is what he told him, which Wainwright tried very hard to stick to the letter of that order. However, the massive, systematic, merciless destruction that he saw around him finally caused him and forced him to go against his own conviction, and he raised the white flag, and he surrendered to the Japanese forces. He and what was left of his army were then gathered together and shipped off to POW camps all over Asia. Thousands of them died along the way just being transported. They did not make it even to the POW camp. And I, I, I've got to, for the sake of time, I'm, I'm condensing this story. There's more to it, but I want to give you just the highlights today to kind of help you understand what was going on here. There was years of terrible captivity. It was not a pleasant place to be. Not everybody fights fair, folks, and I'm telling you what right now. If, you're, think, if you think the world is going to fight you fair, you're sadly mistaken. 
They will, they will give some low blows. They will give you some sucker punches. They'll do everything that they can. They will pick up a two-by-four and hit you right in the middle of the eyes with it. I mean, the world is never going to fight fair. And so here he was in this POW camp being treated terribly. It's over in Mongolia. The Japanese forces guarded him. He was a precious prize being a general of the United States Army. So those terrible years of captivity, Wainwright dealt with more than just the physical ailments, the emaciated state that his body and the body of his men went through, the, the mistreatment, the, the death, the, the stench that was all around him, the the, the terrible living conditions, he, he suffered more uh, than just in a physical realm. He suffered with great mental guilt over not doing what his general had told him to do, fight till the very end. I'm sure there were days when he thought to himself, I'd have been better off to have died over there doing what I was commanded to do than to be here for years not knowing if I will ever be set free living the way that we're living and being treated the way that we're treated. Dealing with this guilt that works on his mind, his soul is bound He's feeling like a total failure for having surrendered Corregidor. Eventually, the story goes on. That we know that General MacArthur led his troops to victory, and the war came to an end. Japan had been defeated, and the war was over, but not where Wainwright was at. Because... The story got back, but the story was withheld. The commanding Japanese officer over that POW camp knew that the war had ended, but he did not let Wainwright know, and he did not let any of the other POWs know. Rightfully, by military protocol, he should have gone to him and said, we have surrendered. It is now, now I am your captive uh, and you are the commanding force in this camp. Things should have changed, but because there was some truth held back, because there was a man that's mind had gone from being a commanding general to a POW, amen, something had clicked. The guilt had set in. The mentality had set in. And even though now he was a commanding officer, with authority, he still remained acting and living as a prisoner of war. Treated like a prisoner. Thinking like a prisoner. The enemy commander's authority was all based on one thing, a lie. You got to imagine with me what would possibly go through this commanding officer's mind. I bet you he woke up and thought about it all day long in his waking hours. What if somebody whispers the truth and it gets to that commanding officer? Or what are they going to do to us? I imagine he feared for his life what might take place. And so he kept the lie going. And by keeping the lie going, he held people that were free in bondage. Not too much of a different story than what was taking place in Egypt. 
Pharaoh, he's conquered everything thousands of miles around him. He's really not in fear of anything. He is the head cheese. He, he has the power. He has the authority. There's only one problem. He one nagging fear that, that kept him awake at night. The might of the Israelite people. If they ever realize how strong they are, if they ever realize how mighty they really are, if they ever realize how many of them there ever that there are, then we might have a problem in the land. Now, the Israelites, they were not warriors. They were not part of the military. They, they were not trained with swords and spears and shields and bows and arrows. No, you're talking about shepherds. You're talking about farmers. You're talking about workers. You're talking about people that don't have any military experience. Uh, and so humanly speaking, they were powerless. Amen. Pharaoh feared not so much the people but the truth, if discovered, that would empower them. They were more, and they were mighty. Just don't let them know. Let's keep that quiet. If they ever realize how powerful they are, how mighty they are, how many they are, we are going to have a problem. We will not be able to contain them because they will join forces with another enemy and they will come and they will conquer us and we will be no more. He knew that if war broke out, he was going to lose. And so to avoid confrontation at all costs was his main objective. His power, my friends, listen to me, was not based on a truth. His power was based on getting people to believe a lie, something that was no truth in it at all. And no one feared the truth more than a liar. Our adversary had the same problem. Let me speak to you here for the next few minutes. He's got a fear. He's got a fear that if the church ever fully comprehend the truth and the power of the truth, amen, that the church will be unstoppable. I have not come to propagate the lie that the world and the devil and our adversary would try to have you believe that you are powerless and there is nothing that you can do and all you can do is say, well, I guess all we can do is pray. What do you mean all you can do is pray? The greatest thing that you can do is hit your knees and call upon the throne room of God and get his power and his presence moving in your favor. You are not weak, and you are not powerless. You are mighty, and you have everything that you need to succeed in victory. First John 4 and 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Why do you think Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life? I love the scripture that says he... What, what, what sets you free? shall know the truth, and the truth shall 
Set you free. For what? If you're not in bondage, what do you need to be set free from? What is that bondage that, that goes around and affects the mindset of so many people? Well, I can't do this, and that looks too tough. And, and those people, they live in restriction. And let me tell you something. We don't do anything that we don't want to do. I come and worship the Lord because I want to worship the Lord. I lift my hands and give him praise because there is something powerful in worshiping God. I give him praise, and I pray, and I bow my knee before him today because at one day, every knee is going to bow. So why not bow to my king right now? It's great day to serve the king of glory. I will not back down down and I will not retreat. I have come to fight until the day I lose my last breath. Our adversary is afraid that the church will discover a war that's going on. We live in the United States of America. I know we've got patches and spots and things, but by and large, you know, nobody had to hitchhike to, to church today and Everybody's got shoes on, I think. You know, I can't see everybody's feet. If you don't have shoes on, okay, somebody's got cowboy boots on, nice boots. I like those. Nobody's going to go hungry today. As far as I know, you know, everybody's, even in our worst-case scenarios, we're, we're doing okay. We're doing pretty good. We, I, know, I get it. We have... We have time for things to get a little shaky, a little rocky. Things go haywire in our life, and, and, and we have to figure a way through that. But, but we live in a land of the free and the home of the brave, and there's opportunity here. And if you're, if you're a man or woman enough to get up and go to work every day and, and take that paycheck and do something good with it instead of flitter it all the way, you can get yourself into a better place. This is a land where you can do all things. And so I understand that today sometimes we look around and, and we, just, we just are at ease, but there's coming a time in each and every one of our lives where we're going to have to stand up and draw a line and say, listen, I'm going to here. I'm here to fight. I'm here to, to win this thing. There's a spiritual warfare that has taken place and we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm not wrestling against you. I'm not wrestling against you. I'm not wrestling against my neighbor. I'm not wrestling against a guy down at McDonald's or Walmart. My fight is a spiritual warfare and I fight that spiritual warfare on my knees and I will not give up and I will not retreat because I have a hope. I have a hope in Christ Jesus. We will have victory. Sometimes I got to tell myself, Doug Rice, you are more and you are mighty. Not by yourself, but you are mighty through the power of Jesus Christ that dwells within you. There's something in me that's greater than me. There's something in me that's more powerful than me. I can't do it on my own, but thank God. He never said I had to. He said, you go and I'll be with you. The music come today. Eventually, an Allied airplane landed over where Wainwright, Wainwright was being held in that POW camp. The American officer walked up to the, to the fence. He found General Wainwright amongst the crowd of prisoners that were lined all along there. He said, General Wainwright, 
He said, the Japanese have been defeated. We have won the war. It's over, sir. The story goes that Wainwright turned right around with his cane, his body broken down. He doesn't have a pistol on his hip. He's not carrying an M1 Grand. Hey, man, he's got no knife in his belt. He's simply got a weapon that is more powerful than any other weapon that you and I will ever have, and that is he was armed with truth. Finally, truth had been delivered. Armed with that piece of truth, he walked into that commanding officer's office. He opened out up the door. Without even raising his voice, he said, my commander-in-chief has defeated your commander-in-chief. It's been a problem that has plagued God's people throughout all humanity. David, as great of a man as he was, he said, man, my foot and I slipped and I, I about fell when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Quit looking at the prosperity of the wicked. There's prosperity in the kingdom of God too. We're affected by what we set our eyes upon. What are your eyes set upon? If social media gets more attention in your life, if Facebook gets more attention in your life, if Googling something gets more time in your life, maybe we got our eyes looking at the wrong place. If we can binge watch for hours on end, but we can't pray for five minutes without being distracted, picking up the phone. What, what do we have our eyes set upon? not speaking against those things. I'm not here to tell everybody, go home and throw your cell phone out the window. Let's go back to our corded wall phones. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying the problem is not new. It's just the devices that create the problem that are new. Our adversary always has a way of dangling a carrot in front of us. And while we're trying to serve God and trying to live right, we start following this carrot around. It just takes us someplace totally different than where God wants us to be. Wainwright simply was presented with truth and when he was presented with truth he reacted on that truth immediately he went from being prisoner status to commander status there's some folks in here that need to hear that today you feel whipped broken down bruised and battered you feel like your prayers bounce off the ceiling. You feel like you'd, uh, your relationship with God is going down the tube and you can't really quite figure out why. Let me tell you, remember who you are. And just because God does not answer you immediately does not 
mean that he is not going to answer you. Would you stand with me today? I've simply come today to remind everyone here that our commander-in-chief has defeated their commander-in-chief. Book of Revelations, I get it. It's a, there's a lot of mystery there. But there's enough there for anybody to figure out who's going to be victorious in the end. There's enough story there that also lets you know there's going to be times and moments in there that it doesn't look like we're winning. There's going to be some difficult days, some hardships. Just remember, don't ever stop being a child of God just because your surroundings feel like they have you pinned in. There's coming a day I don't know how exactly how it's going to happen. I just know that there's going to be an angel put a trumpet to his lips. Every day that we're walking through this life, we're getting closer and closer to the edge of eternity. One day we will stand right on the edge and we'll be right there and a trumpet will sound. Then every defeat you've ever suffered, every tear you've ever cried, every defeat that you've ever had to go through in your life, it ain't going to matter no more. Because we're going to step into that other realm that Jesus Christ has gone and been preparing for a long time for his people to come and be a part of. Elisha's standing there surrounded by enemies. His servant is shaking in his shoes. Elisha's not even breaking stride. He's sipping on his tea. Now, this is my version, okay? He's sipping on his tea and eating his flat bread. And his servant's like, don't you care? What's going on? Look around us. Well, yeah. The servant looks at him and says, you're not seeing what I'm seeing. He says, oh, I see what you see. Here's the difference. I see more than you see. And that's the key for the church. You can't just look around and see the world the way the world sees the world because it is hopeless and helpless, and there's not much to, to be happy about. There's not much to look forward to. You've got to see beyond what they see. You've got to see more than they see. There are more for us than are against us. Remember that. I know we give the devil a lot of authority, a lot of power. We think he, no. And I know, I don't know how many angels it was, it just says a third, but that still leaves two thirds in our favor. And even if all the angels had followed the devil, I'll take my chances remaining on God's side. Thank you very much. That old song says, me and God make a majority. Remember that? Don't forget that. You are more and you are mighty. You may suffer. You may feel broken. Don't you buy into that. 
you keep that mentality strong within you. I am a child of God. And it does not matter what happens around me, what I'm surrounded by, what my enemies say about me. I only know what God's word says about me. He loves me. He cares for me. I am not homeless. I am not abandoned. I have a heavenly father that would love me enough to die for me. And there's a place that he has prepared for those that are faithful. Amen. I just want to be faithful to you. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.